Let's begin uh, this morning by opening up our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 through 16. Paul writing to Timothy says, <coughs> but, <coughs> excuse me, the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter time some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons, by the hypocrisy of liars who have been seared in their own conscience, who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God created to be shared in with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. In pointing out these things to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being nourished on the words of faith and the sound doctrine which you have been following. But refuse godless myths fit only for old women. On the other hand, train yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily training is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance. For it is for this that we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Command and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but show yourself as a model to those who believe in word, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the gift within you, which was given to you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourselves and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do uh, as you do this, you will save both yourselves and those who hear you. Father, we just want to commit this morning to you. Lord, help us, Lord, to persevere in the calling that you've placed on our lives. Father, we thank you for your word that has been passed down uh, to us, uh, Lord, owing to your sovereignty. Uh, Lord, at the means of faithful men willing to give their lives. And so, Father, as we are here this morning to study it, we study it as a treasure, and we seek to treasure it in our hearts. Uh, Lord, help us not only to pay close attention to the Word, to doctrine, but, Lord, also to ourselves, uh, so that, Lord, we might live lives that would adorn the doctrine of God. Uh, Lord, make it appealing uh, to men. Uh, Father, we pray that you would use us and help us to be used in the opportunities you place before us. And, Lord, with this opportunity, help us to redeem it, um, and encourage one another uh, as we meet together. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, if you've got your study, we are on page 76, which is <clears throat> Series 6, Expository Preaching. We're looking at uh, problems with contemporary methods. So essentially, uh, what are some ways that preachers and expositors have been Attempted uh, to swear, uh, not swear, to swerve off uh, track a little bit. Um, and so he says in our first point modern preaching focuses on what people want to hear. So, one of the ways that uh, churches, pastors uh, will basically swerve from what God has called them to preach, and we just read it right here. 
uh, to persevere in the things that Paul had laid out for us uh, is they start to focus on what does the audience want to hear and, and to appeal to the listener as opposed to having an audience of one and what is it that God desires for me to preach. Um, and so he uh, lists here 2 Timothy 4.3. I'll read that for you. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away from their ears the truth, and will turn aside to myths. Um, so when you have a church that has a false teacher, there is some sense in that that is their own judgment. That is what they want. It is an outworking of their heart. Uh, so this approach obviously is ubiquitous. It is everywhere in our culture. Um, there are, of course, good, solid churches, and we, we know about those. Uh, but most churches out there, and you'll hear it from people who come at times to this church, the Lord has saved them, and they'll say, we just could not find a good church. We bounced around from church to church to church, and this is what, you never believe what I heard and saw and all of this. And that's because churches are taking this kind of approach. And so he says, this approach to preaching is rooted historically in the teaching of Harry Emerson Fosdick, which can be summed up in the following prepositions or propositions. Uh, people know what is best for them. This being the case, since they know what's best for them, if you preach according to their desires, then you're going to hit the target, uh, which is literally the opposite of what is true. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful and wicked, desperately sick. Um, and that's the starting point uh, that they have missed. You know, or uh, if you needed more evidence, you could just look at Romans chapter 3, uh, which talks about how far off we are, how evil we are. Um, and there's nothing good in us. And so that's a correct starting place, but they've taken a, a worldly liberal starting point and said, no, 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 that's not right. Everybody is good. It's more the circumstances surrounding them that creates the evil. And so if we just ask them what they want, then we'll get to the right uh, point. And by the way, Harry Emerson Fosdick was um, someone who actually started out in fundamentalism and then eventually went to liberal Christianity and denying the doctrine of Christ's resurrection and all host of things. And so he's kind of a um, nefarious figure in church history. Second here, people automatically want what is best for them. Uh, in this view, there's no place for convictional preaching or anything of that sort. They generally want to hear truth. People reject truth because of the way we present it. Um, and so, hey, if you can just package it right, um, and you put enough seeker-sensitive kind of stuff in it, then people will eventually listen, and that you can see in his fifth proposition here, people will listen if we just change our approach. Um, and so although this was established a long time ago, you can see the, the tenets of it uh, still are widespread in our culture um, and, and still definitely shaping our churches. This is the seeker-sensitive movement. If we can just say it the right way, package it the right way, if we can just get them in the door, uh, put some video games in the kids' classrooms, whatever, and, and that's not a joke. Churches really have that. And then perhaps they will actually hear the truth. But the problem is 
when you leave out the truth, they're not hearing the truth. They're grabbing on to worldly philosophies, uh, to their own pleasures, their own desires. And so that's how you keep them. And so the church just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and the doctrine goes out the door. Uh, he says, secondly, this view militates against or works against the reality that God speaks authoritatively and makes the listener accountable for their response. And so this works against the fact that we would just stand up and preach the authoritative Word of God for what it is. Um, and to put the confidence in the Word of God. The problem is their confidence isn't in God's Word. It's in themselves. It's in the technique. It's in the, the latest leadership uh, guru, whatever it is. And now this goes out the door. And of course, they don't say that, which is why people come in the door. Um, but that's exactly what is going on. And so instead of that, God's Word is authoritative. They shoot for being relevant. Um, uh, fresh, whatever that may be. This is their success metric. If they are relevant, then they've hit the target, um, which means they probably won't be relevant in our own culture in like 10 days, as quick as it changes. Um, authenticity becomes the ultimate trump card on this next page, page 77. Um, basically, it's just the confession of what's true on the inside. No, without allowing the outside truth to affect the inside. And so if, if you can just be authentic, be who you are, um, a, as a preacher even, then people are going to respect you. doesn't matter how sinful you are. doesn't matter how worldly you are. That's, I, you know what? I just respect that he is authentic. He is who he is. Now there's, of course, a certain rightness in being authentic because we don't want to be hypocritical. But the problem is, if being authentic is the metric by which we judge truth, now we're off. We have to allow the outside truth to shape the inside. Um, and of course, in our culture, where feelings are everything, desires are everything, this is very, very appealing. Uh, this is what people want to be. They want to be authentic, which means they want to do what they want to do. And so this appeals uh, to the audience. He says, secondly, there are two influences that have driven modern preaching. And, and I thought this was interesting because I don't know when he wrote this, um, but I think it was several years ago that he actually went through all this material. And this first one's definitely um, a relevant temptation uh, for our conservative churches today. So he says, a fearful response to the growing presence of evil around an historically conservative culture. The church has been concerned with losing influence in the culture. So this influence is driving churches and preaching and doctrine and philosophy of ministry. And that's just the influence to know that, hey, we're being surrounded. The troops are at the gate. Uh, they're about to storm the, the doors. And it's that fear that can drive what we do. As opposed to, the Bible driving what we do. And so this can't be our starting point, because in one sense, this has always been the case. <laughs> We've always been surrounded and living in a dark, evil world. There, there's nothing new in that way. And he says one of the things that's maybe led to it is the church in America has historically enjoyed peace in the culture um, and not necessarily spiritual vitalities. And so... What he says, and again, this is probably seven, eight years ago, something like this, is that the gospel became connected to more 
American values. And so the gospel is the freedom to do what we want. Now, the gospel is voting. The gospel is uh, the Republican Party or, or whatever it is, which became a big temptation about seven, eight years ago. I would say probably now where the discussion of this is being had, um, and, and this word, it's in some ways one of those words, it's like love and, and justice in our culture. It just gets waxed around and moved around wherever you want it. But the discussion is had in, in Christian nationalism, and, and there's two ways it's being used. One, it's being used in such a way where every liberal in the country is saying all of us are Christian nationalists uh, because we would say abortion is bad, um, because we would hold to the Bible, um, because we hold to re reality, um, any kind of reality. We are a Christian nationalist. Christian nationalists are bad. Uh, they're going to take over the country. They want to set up a theocracy um, and cause everyone to become a Christian, almost like the Christian version of Islam. Um, and that's actually what is often believed and, and said um, out there. And in fact, there's a new documentary that just is coming out uh, that's put out by Rob Reiner, who's an excellent uh, just filmmaker in of himself. He's put out some major films, and it's all aimed at Christian nationalism. But the thing is, even though I wouldn't necessarily use that term, they would include me in that. And, and it's just another smear campaign against Christians. There's another way it's, it's being used, and, and it's being used by people who actually want to claim the term. Um, and there is a certain sense of wanting to take back the culture, um, of wanting to stand up and, and to, to vote and, and influence your city and all these things. And none of them are necessarily bad, but there can be a, shuttle, a subtle shift that you have to watch out for. And that is you don't want that to become the main thing as if we change all these outside circumstances that we've actually fixed the problem because the problem we know is in the human heart. And it's not until human hearts are changed by the gospel, there's a revival that happens in our nation that laws and everything else begin to change because people vote according to their heart. And so we just want to make sure of a couple of things. One, that we don't get wrapped up as Christians in, in having a debate that at the end of the day is just distracting. Um, to be fighting over such terms that aren't in the Bible, <laughs> um, to me, is distracting. Um, and two, just to say, you know what, we need to stay focused on exactly what Paul has said in our scripture reading uh, this morning. Command and teach these things as found in the Bible, uh, as connected to the gospel. Uh, don't neglect these things. Take pains with them. Pay close attention to yourself, to your teaching. Persevere in these. Make sure that we're putting the emphasis on the gospel of Jesus Christ, living a pure life within our context that the Lord has given us, and, and let the Lord handle the rest. Does that mean you need to be a faithful citizen? Of course. Does it mean you need to be a faithful father? Of course doesn't necessarily mean that you got to get wrapped up in all these debates that the culture wants you to have or whatever podcaster wants you to have as well. And so that fear that evil is coming uh, can necessitate or cause us, tempt us, uh, to maybe respond in a way that we wouldn't normally. And so we've got to realize that God is still sovereign. He's on the throne, and we just want to be faithful 
um, in the area that he has given us. A couple things he says here uh, that are the primary tenets would be democracy, freedom, prosperity. Uh, as those things uh, lessen, uh, then we begin to think uh, that we've got to respond in some way. Uh, people go to church and Christianity because it's associated and, and lumped in with this idea of conservative Christianity. And, and the other thing, too, is we want to be very careful of association with close association with certain kinds of groups that are involved in Republican Party, uh, just general conservatism. At the end of the day, we'll get lumped in with something that we don't want to be lumped in with. That doesn't mean you don't vote in a certain way. Um, but if you're marching with them, you might be supporting something you don't want to. Uh, because it's a group of people whose hearts have not been changed. Um, they might have it right on some issues, um, but eventually you're going to get thrown into something that's not good. Um, he says in the midst of all of this, uh, there's never really a decline of evil. And, and that's one thing you can note too, okay? Uh, in all of these movements, <laughs> is there actual evil declining, or have we just shifted the, the ball a little bit? A liberal heart, um, it wants certain things that are obviously not great to us, but a conservative heart that is not saved is also wanting things that are not great, just different, uh, whatever uh, those things may be. Uh, one passage I, I thought of just to kind of keep us on track would be 2 Timothy chapter 2. You can turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And, and Paul here is just talking about not becoming distracted. He says, starting in verse 14, read down to verse 19. Remind them of these things, solemnly charging them in the presence of God, not to dispute about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid godless and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their word will spread like gangrene. Among them are Harmonius and Philetus, who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to depart from wickedness. So he simplifies it here. And that's another thing too. When there is a dispute about words, let me tell you the one thing you need to do is just define what you're talking about. <laughs> define it. Um, because that's what's going on in the culture is everybody's arguing about these terms. Nobody's actually defining what we're talking about. And two things will happen when you define it. One, it will become clear, I'm not that. Or it will become clear, hey, we're actually saying the same thing here. We're actually not that far off from one another. And so that will help. He says a, another thing, the culture in America is becoming increasingly hostile to the true gospel, which of course is true. And that's that first aspect of that documentary that's put out. They're trying to throw us off the game. And so what they'll say is, well, this is justice, okay? You, know, you see critical race theory, you, you've got to understand everybody in this category, and that's what justice is. And Christian, if you don't get along here, then you're not a Christian. And, and the Christian says, well, I've got a more full definition of justice. I, I, I can't 
get on there. And so we can't be tempted to start going towards the culture uh, by adopting their way of looking at these terms. It says difficult times of hostility and opposition are promised, so we ought to expect that. And so we ought to expect and be okay with being on the outs with how they are looking at us and defining us. Uh, society disintegrates as the love and fear of God disappears. That's what's going on in our culture um, at breakneck speed. Uh, The church, using the word loosely, he says, is full of those who hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. Or What's going to happen to those people during these kinds of times? They're going to start leaving the church um, because as the church loses its power, uh, they have no reason to be in it. Um, and so that's also going to hurt as well, is going to provide a, a temptation. Um, and then he says another thing that can happen. And so the first thing that's really a kind of a tempting thing for church's influence is that fear that can get us off. A second thing would be the desire to lower the bar. And so then we could say, okay, people aren't, people are leaving the church in droves, and all I need to do is just, Lessen the preaching a little bit, not preach on this subject or, or that subject, or, or, or maybe, you know, we're just going to get rid of Wednesday night or whatever it is. Let's just lower the bar, and then perhaps what we'll do is we'll keep people here. And there may be a sense that some people will stay, but the problem is at that point, you probably just got rid of all your men because when you lower the bar, uh, the men, they want you guys want to be challenged, right? Yeah, yes. I could tell. Yeah, you want to be challenged out there. Um, and so you're going to lose the correct kind of people, and you're going to create a people who are apathetic, who have uh, the wrong kind of desire um, and love for the Word that's going to keep them there. Because if there is a true love for the Word, a true love for Christ, you don't want to lower the bar, you want to raise the bar. Because what is the bar? It's conformity to the one we love, who is Christ Jesus. So we can't lower Christ. <laughs> he is who He is. And so we, we keep the bar at Jesus Christ, and that's what's going to keep us from going off. Because if we're connected to Him, if we're walking in the fear of the Lord, well, then I can't change what I'm saying, and neither can you. And I can't change what I'm aiming at, and neither can you. And so if Christ is the center of our hearts, then He's going to keep us exactly where we need to be. So there's a couple of influences that that drive us off the path. Third, much training on preachers focuses on the listener. And so I I didn't get this training, so I can't speak to it because at the Master Seminary, we weren't focused necessarily on the listener. Um, But there are seminaries out there uh, who are basically more seeker-sensitive, more in tune with the culture, and it, it really just goes basically to ask kind of that Rick Warren kind of thing, well, what do my people want to hear? And then on the flip side, what do they not want to hear? Uh, And so, you know, I use this term a couple times on Sunday, but if that's going to be triggering to someone, if that's going to hurt someone's feelings, then I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to leave that out. I'm going to skip over it. Um, And not only am I not going to say it on Sunday morning, but I'm not going to say it in a place that's even harder to say it, and that's in the counseling room, um, because that's going to hurt their feelings, and that's the number one sin in this culture. You don't hurt someone's feelings. 
Um, and that idea of hurt, the ball has shifted. You, you can hear it in all this abortion, Texas abortion case nonsense, where this lady is, is claiming that um, she needed to have or needs to have this abortion because her, her body is in danger or she's in danger. Well, the reality is danger for her is just the pregnancy itself, just the idea that she might have a baby. And so we've just shifted to the baby is when you, or the danger is not pursuing something that is inconvenient to you or whatever. Well, someone's got to come in and, and say the truth. And when someone comes into to your office, your house, and, and they're looking for truth, but maybe at that point they just have this feeling and they're living in sin or whatever, if you're not willing to say something hard because you don't want to step on their toes, uh, well, then you've just doomed them uh, to a life living outside of the truth. So we can't focus on the listener. We can listen to the listener. Uh, we can be aware, uh, but that cannot drive what we say. Now, it has to be what God has said. And so we would throw that out. Another one, some pastors misuse Scripture to validate their own felt needs in preaching model. Um, <clears throat> we can just go for a quick example that he gives here. If you turn over to Luke chapter 4, I mean, you, <clears throat> you could just do a quick search online. Hey, what, how have Scripture passages been used, misused by pastors? And you'll find tons. But certainly by liberal Christians specifically, this passage has been misused. So starting in verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And so this is a glorious moment here. And he opened the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim and release to the captives and recovery to the sight of the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And He closed the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. I mean, this is like the mic drop here. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. It is absolutely ridiculous, heretical, that you would have someone who would take this passage and say, see, here's what we need to be focused on, and then leave out the gospel, which you notice in this passage, preach the gospel to the poor. That was the very first thing, but we're going to leave that out and now we're just going to have a ministry to the poor. We're just going to define who is oppressed and then set them free. And that means we are Christians. Um, and you've got people who are standing up saying the most evil, liberal things, claiming to be a Christian because they say they're doing this. And they have absolutely zero understanding of what this passage means, what this fulfillment was. He was proclaiming himself to be God uh, here. Um, and so, again, <clears throat> why does it matter that we study things in context? Uh, here's one of the reasons. So we recognize these things, so we stay on the correct uh, path. Uh, as opposed to what they would do is, is take some catch words that are popular in our 
culture that seem like they're on the right path, captive, uh, oppressed. We're going to take that. that. That'll play well in this culture and then misuse it for their own uh, greed and gain is absolutely uh, evil. And then last, we'll finish up with this one uh, for the morning. Two devastating assumptions that put an unnecessary burden on the preacher. One, people have innate needs that need to be met in order for people to reach wholeness. Uh, In other words, you as a preacher, whoever, in whatever capacity you're preaching, need to make the listener feel good. Uh, Good luck. Uh, We are to assume that everyone has spiritual inclinations towards what is best. Uh, It isn't a heart problem that prevents people from accessing preaching. It is external, environmental problems. And so, uh, hey, make sure the temperature is is right. Good luck. (laughs) If you raise the temperature in the sanctuary two degrees, someone's going to notice. If you lower it two degrees, someone's going to notice. You're never going to get things exactly the way that they need to be. The circumstances are never going to be right uh, on. It gives an example here of forgiveness. Um, In this model, the listener is assumed to be good. And so you would say something like, hey, like I I know that you're having some trouble here with forgiveness, but this isn't really your fault. Um, And you start to put the fault on the other person. And it's because of what they've done to you. And and in fact, you're really not the the sinner. They are because they started it or whatever. And so that being the case, yeah, you might need some time here. Um, And it's okay. Um, Five months, four months, three months, one year, ten years. Whenever you're ready. Because again, it's when you feel good. And what what is that preacher doing in that moment? He's leaving out the myriads of passages that don't put a time limit. They just say, go, (laughs) forgive, pursue, reconcile. Um, But if you put it on someone's feelings, then it's it's never going to be convenient. I can't think of a whole lot of times when I've had bitterness or or anger when I have wanted to forgive. If that was the starting point, it's never going to happen. The starting point is I need to bow my knee to the Scripture and forgive regardless of how I feel and let my feelings follow my convictions. That's the starting point. And so, why are these devastating assumptions? Well, because if this is your success metric, how people feel, you're you're never going to reach it. Success is faithfulness to God's Word and that alone. That's how we measure success. Let me pray for us, and we've got some questions. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Lord, we pray that as we discuss... Uh, some of what's going on in our, in our culture and how we can, as men, respond faithfully to it, uh, Lord, in a way that brings uh, more unity, more gospel clarity, uh, Lord, that keeps us on the path of striving side by side for the sake of the gospel, uh, that trusts you, that though our culture is crumbling, and it certainly is not our desire to see that happen, uh, and Lord, we would work against it as we can. Uh, Lord, but to trust you to know that you are building your church um, and Lord, that you are sovereign over all these things and that we can trust you. And so, Lord, be with us this morning. Thank you again for the time that we've shared in your word. We pray this in your name. Amen.